today on Lawyers Rising. Real estate attorneys are crazy marketable right now. The top five practice areas in the U.S. legal market. I'm joined today by two members of the BCG Attorney Search team. Bree Mills is Recruiting Manager and Harrison Barnes is the Founder and Chief Executive. Good morning to you both. Morning. Let's move on by talking about the top five practice areas of 2019. This is an always an interesting category. And Bree, I'll let you start things off by talking about number one, which is litigation. Can you talk a little bit about um, why there was so much demand for litigators this year? Yeah, sure. So litigation was a very hot practice area this year um, as far as for um, openings coming on the market. I mean, most attorneys are litigators, right? I mean, about 40% of attorneys that come on the market are litigators. I think we've kind of talked about that in the past before. That's really what law school prepares you for is to become a litigator. Um, and they are, and litigation was by far and away the most abundant type of job that was on the market across all of the jobs that BCG Attorney Search monitors. So it was about um, 50% of all of jobs that came onto the market. So these, these jobs are coming on um, largely from these smaller firms. So the, the the largest firms, actually, litigation has always been a little, they haven't really been hiring in vast numbers. Um, the, the research that we had from this year is actually quite interesting, that only about 14% of all of the litigation openings that we were monitoring this year were from big AMLA firms, um, which means that that huge volume of litigation openings are largely being driven by the smaller markets, the smaller firms, the mid-sized firms. Um, and they are looking, um, honestly, one of the biggest uh, practice areas that is just on fire is insurance defense litigation, which there's just seems to be an endless need for that. That's not an area that um, as recruiters, we typically get too involved in um, insurance litigators can kind of tend to be a dime a dozen. And, um, you know, law firms especially don't necessarily come to us for help filling those insurance position, uh, litigation positions because there's such high turnover and people don't stick around in the, in the firm to do that long. But yeah, the, the actual need for litigation attorneys on the market is huge. Um, but we did see a bit of a drop off in our own candidates who were who were getting interviews and placements um, who were litigators. And I think this we work with you know a lot of the very top candidates who are very highly credentialed. They're coming from great firms. Um, so that's showing us that despite the overall market demand for litigators, there is a super high level of competition for the top top positions at these big firms. Um, I think it's something like a, you know, six to one, you know, of, what was I saying? It's, some, it's the ratio of sort of candidates on the market versus openings that are appropriate for them is, is quite staggering. And these firms are becoming more and more highly selective with even the kinds of candidates that we are even allowed to present to them. You know, more and more of these firms are coming to us with strict grade percentage, uh, GPA cutoffs, you know, they have to be from, you know, top 20 law school. They have to be on law review. They should probably have a clerkship, preferably an appellate circuit clerk clerkship. Um, so the, the competition for those jobs is really just staggering. I'd like to hear Harrison's perspective on why um, the, these trends have been happening in the litigation area. And where do you think they're probably going to be going in the, the next 12 months? 
Well, I think the litigation is a, you know, interesting practice area. I mean, like Bree was saying, I mean, that, you know, there over 50% of the openings are uh, for litigators, but the thing with litigation is that, you know, they, they can be at very small firms, they can be at large firms and, you know, corporate typically is only going to be at, you know, larger firms. And so, you know, the reason there's so many litigation openings is because there's so many places that do litigation. Almost all law firms do uh, some form of litigation. And the other thing that Bree was saying is that, you know, the larger law firms, just because of the kind of the, the oversupply of litigators do have, you know, very strong cutoffs for, for the type of people, um, you know, they're, they're willing to hire. Um, you know, it used to be that just having like a federal district court clerkship was a good thing, but, you know, honestly, like, you know, and I did a federal circuit, a federal district court clerkship and I thought it was a big deal, but it's, it's really not. I mean, the, the, you know, the, the, the most important ones now are, are uh, going to be circuit court clerkships, unless it's in like, you know, the Southern District of New York or, you know, some sort of major, you know, place like that. I mean, a federal district court clerkship, uh, really, because the salaries are so high uh, in law firms, I mean, you typically see the quality people coming out of everything but the, the circuit court. The circuit courts tend to be very, very good clerks, but uh, you know, have very good qualifications. But federal is just not as good anymore, just a federal district court. And one of the things that's interesting about litigators uh, that a lot of people don't talk about, but in, in my experience, I mean, for the largest law firms, I mean, really what they're hiring for is they're hiring for uh, intelligence because, you know, you, to, the best litigators can understand very complex arguments. They can they can uh, make very complex arguments back to other very complex arguments. And so you really have to be, you know, to be a really good litigator, and I, I've seen it firsthand, you have to be very, very intelligent. I mean, and you have to be very, very, a very, very good writer, and you have to have, you know, very good skills. And, and it's not just saying like, oh, this person has three years of experience, like a lot of times they may do for people in other practice areas. I mean, they'll be like, this person has this experience, and they have all this historic stuff that shows you know, how motivated and how intelligent they are, because they also want them to be very motivated. And then the other thing that's interesting about litigation is it's not just about, you know, your ability to be smart, but to really, you know, rise, you have to have, you know, be good in front of juries, you have to be good at bringing in clients, you have to kind of be good at building a name for yourself. So there's, there's a lot of stuff that goes along with litigation that a lot of people don't talk about. Uh, that to me is very interesting. Uh, you know, I think, you know, the thing that's interesting about litigation is there has been uh, a lot of demand for litigation uh, over the past uh, couple of years. And um, there, there's actually been uh, more hiring for senior litigators than I've ever seen, uh, which is which is interesting. So there's, there's you know, uh, there's a demand uh, and a need for people that have trial experience at kind of the senior level. And that, and that is in a lot of kind of middle market areas where they can get hired now. Um, you know, and then there's also, um, you know, the fact that litigation has been doing fairly well, despite the fact that uh, the economy is doing well. Uh, the, the reason that litigation tends to be somewhat countercyclical is when the economy goes, gets bad, uh, then uh, a lot of times people will, you know, kind of look around and they'll see that, oh, this person owes me money or this person, you know, screwed me over when the economy was good and, and therefore I want to get my money now. So lawsuits start. And then um, people start putting their hopes in lawsuits and uh, and trying to make sure and trying to do whatever they can to get money out of that. So um, that that's kind of one of the reasons I think that that happens. Um, yeah, but those those are some of my thoughts on on litigation. I mean, I think it, it will continue to do well. Um, I just I think litigation is just a very risky practice area because 
you know, unless you have some sort of um, natural skill in it and you're very smart, you know, you're always going to get blown away by uh, more intelligent people if they show up. Uh, that can out argue, out outright you, out reason you, uh, and 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 the other thing that I think is very dangerous about litigation is, uh, you know, while uh, you know there there are openings in this particular economy for uh, you know senior litigators in some markets such as Orange County, um, for the most part, uh, when you get senior, unless you have business, it becomes very very difficult to be marketable. Um, law firms typically want to hire young litigators because they have a lot of energy and are happy just sitting behind a desk writing all day and doing document review and kind of boring task. And um, and then another thing I don't like about litigation is it's just very difficult to go in-house. I mean, you can't, um, you know, once you become senior and kind of age out of it, um, there, there's just not a lot you can do. And, and it's very, very stressful. I mean, uh, you know, out of all the practice areas, I mean, I think litigators have the most experience and issues with substance abuse and all those sorts of things, because I mean, you're constantly, you know, you're, you're losing half the time, you know, if you're going to court, your, uh, you know, clients hate paying for litigators, so they don't like you. And they're always criticizing your bills and attacking you. Um, you know, the judge is attacking you and sanctioning you. And I mean, it's just, you know, and, and you have lots and lots of cases. So you have lots and lots of bosses and, uh, you know, and, People are always looking for you to screw up. So it's it's a very difficult practice here. I mean, Bree, you're a litigator, so I mean you can talk about some of this too, I'm sure. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it, it's you have to be on call. I mean, I can tell I had a pillow under my desk. Uh, you know? So I think that kind of says it all. <laughs> Just uh, <laughs> it's stressful for sure. Well, um, on the second on your list of for, you know, most in-demand uh, niches is corporate work. And, you know, to the point that Harrison made about the economy, it's been over a decade of a bull market now in the U.S. I have to imagine that's why um, corporate work is still so much in demand. But can you expand a little bit more on that about what happened in 2019 and what you see for 2020, Bree, when it comes to corporate law? Yeah, so we saw, um, you know, the corporate openings are a much smaller percentage of the total openings out there. But we there is still a lot of deal activity going on. And as Harrison kind of mentioned, really, a, a lot of this work really still is driven by the biggest firms who are doing these huge complex deals. We had a huge volume of overall of overall deals that were happening throughout the course of 2019. And this is this means MA work, this means private equity work, this means venture capital work, all very complex <clears throat> work that is largely serviced by the biggest firms. You know, I thought it was an interesting observation, whereas, you know, only 14% of this huge pool of litigation jobs was at the top firms over 50% of the corporate jobs are at the top firms. So that really shows you where the complexity of work is, um, is the need for these M&A dealers, deals, sorry, M&A attorneys, private equity attorneys. There was a huge demand for anybody with specialized skills, especially, for example, fund formation, Investment Company Act. I mean, we we saw some very specific practice uh, um, job descriptions coming out for some of the corporate work. And if we had somebody who did that work, bam, they're snapped up. They could expect to get multiple interviews. Um, so that highest level of corporate work is still very much in demand. Um, there's a lot of money going around to fund these deals, and so that's that's looking good. And I think we're still probably dealing with 
problem of lower level of supply of corporate attorneys. Again, I think a lot of attorneys coming out of law school don't really even know what corporate work is and don't really get into it. But even more so, a lot of the need that we're seeing now is for that mid-level, even maybe mid to senior level attorneys who really know how the inside out workings of a deal and how to take it from um, start to finish. And the problem is those would have been attorneys who were coming out around the time I was coming out, 2011, 2012, 2013. And that was all post-recession, high volume of litigation work out there, getting funneled into those practice groups at their firms. So we've really just seen that um, sort of the depleted ranks of the corporate attorneys who really have that experience. So people with that experience are very, very in demand. Um, and even, But we're even seeing a lot of need at the more junior levels for cor- corporate attorneys. So, you know, as, as long as the market is good and, you know, we've had all this, the sky is falling, I feel like last summer it felt like we were on the verge of a recession again, um, seems like those fears have largely retreated. I'm not really seeing any other signs of the recession right on top of us. But, um, you know, that could certainly affect the market going forward. But right now, it's it seems like it's humming along. Harrison, do you have any thoughts about uh, the continued strength in, the, in the, the corporate sector? Well, a lot of the strength is also based on um, anytime, uh, the, the, you know, the, the there's kind of two things. I mean, it's, it's the you know, the law firms doing deals is one, uh, but the other is just the strength of uh, the in-house market. So, you know, the in-house market has been, uh, you know, very strong over um, the past, uh, you know, several years. And, um, and and when attorneys feel like they can, you know, very easily go into an in-house job, uh, that can be very helpful uh, for them in terms of um, feeling a lot of security and, and leaving and going in-house. So a lot of attorneys have been uh, you know, going in house, and that tends to drive, um, you know, a lot of the corporate demand. Um, one thing I would say, though, is, you know, I, I do, I do feel that, um, you know, that there, you know, we we have been making a lot of corporate replacements, and and it has the market has been going well. But, you know, I just I don't see the same sense of optimism in corporate really, or I don't feel the same sense of optimism that I've seen, uh, you know, in litig in litigation, for example. Uh, it just seems. You know, if if you look at like the New York market, you know, it, it tends to be cyclical. I mean, a couple of months ago there were there weren't very many corporate openings, and now there are. Um, but you know, it's just it it, it kind of depends. I I, I don't think um, you know the the corporate market just hasn't seemed as strong to me uh, really um, as it has. And one thing that's interesting to me is I don't understand why um, you know there's not as much activity um, you know on. Um, you know, the West Coast, um, as, as there's been in the past. It's just the West Coast has always been, um, you know, uh, like, uh, you know, even, even um, you know, better, I think, than, than it, it was this year. So that's just, um, you know, one, one of the things. And, and, and the East Coast, you know, also seems a little bit slow. So, um, you know, those are some issues, you know, thoughts that I have. I, I, I also think there's one of the things that I noticed last year is that, you know, when attorneys outside of major markets uh, are willing to look at smaller markets, then they, they tend to get a lot of interviews. So, you know, it may be, it's sometimes it's difficult for even corporate attorneys from good firms to get interviews like in New York City, uh, you know, but when they start looking at smaller markets, uh, they can get interviews. Or when attorneys in uh, like 
you know, the Bay Area start looking at, um, you know, smaller firms within the Bay Area that can get interviews. And so I think that, you know, if, if I was a corporate attorney, I really would be interested uh, in working in, you know, smaller to mid-sized markets. I just feel like there's just so much opportunity there. There's opportunity to get clients. There's opportunity to build a book of business. There's, you know, opportunity to do a little bit more generalist related type work. Um, the hours tend not to be as bad, but for whatever reason, I mean, people seem to want to work in the kind of in the large public company sphere in, in the major markets. And, um, and I can see the attraction of that because the, the work certainly is more important. But, you know, I'm always, I, I've been a real fan of, uh, you know, for corporate attorneys working in smaller markets. And when corporate attorneys look at smaller markets, especially when they're at, uh, you know, ma- in major markets like New York or, um, you know, wherever, uh, you know, they tend to do very well. And, you know, just some other trends I noticed this year that just kind of continued. I mean, L.A., you know, you would think L.A. would have like this giant corporate market and it's just been, you know, consistently kind of slow. You know, not not much is going on. You know, there's just not a lot of uh, movement. They're almost, you know, honestly, I mean, it's probably easier for a corporate attorney, uh, you know, coming from outside of L.A. to with good qualifications to get a job like in Detroit or um, you know, Cincinnati than it is in LA. I mean, LA is just, you know, such a big market, but there's just never been a, a huge corporate market. And then there's just not a lot of opportunities unless you're a corporate attorney with business. Uh, you know, so those are some of the things I noticed this year, uh, you know, but I'm just, you know, if I was a corporate attorney, I'd really be a fan of smaller markets. One smaller market that I think is interesting is, uh, is New Jersey um, for potentially a place for people to have escaped the the rat race of New York, but they still actually get quite a bit of sophisticated work. We've worked with a lot of firms in that region who are kind of refugees from the city and they want, or maybe they're in Long Island or maybe they're in New Jersey, um, but they are kind of close enough to that work, but give a bit of a, but they're in a bit of a smaller market and we've see, seen quite a bit of need there. So that's actually been an interesting uptick in activity of, of corporate attorneys finding decent positions in that market. Um, if you still kind of want to be in the East Coast. But I, I think you're absolutely right, Harrison, that some of these smaller markets um, are hungry for corporate attorneys. Boston is even, oh, a lot of firms in Boston are knocking down our door for, for qualified corporate attorneys. And I think for whatever reason, people just want to stay in New York. Um, but maybe they should be looking because we've actually had some corporate attorneys just recently that we would have thought would be getting a lot of traction, but are looking in New York and the firms just aren't biting. So it would be a great opportunity for them to kind of maybe look at some other markets. Yeah. I mean, Boston's been doing well, but there's, I mean, there's a really kind of thriving tech scene there, but Boston's been doing really well for uh, litigation as well. Um, I mean, it's really hot for litigation right now, uh, you know, in addition to corporate. Uh, Well, let's continue our conversation about uh, the top five practice areas in the United States by talking about labor and employment. Bree, do you want to just pick this up and talk a little bit about what you saw in uh, that sector in 2019? Yeah, labor and employment has been hot and this year just really continued to be one of our busiest practice areas. Um, It hasn't generally been in one of like our top three practice areas, but this year we just had an amazing amount of activity. Um, there were more opportunities on the market in general f- from the opportunities that we were monitoring at BCG Attorney Search. We saw about 31% more jobs even coming on the market. Um, this is for labor and employment, both on the council, like we're looking at counseling and at the litigation. And yeah, so we saw a huge increase. I think a lot of what is driving the increase from our perspective, what we're seeing is there are a lot of new laws and regulations that are coming to effect that are 
affecting the labor market, um, there are also, of course, all these Me Too lawsuits. There are huge class actions um, that are coming down the pike, and I think that's, that trend is probably not going to stop anytime soon. It might slow down, but we're still seeming to be in the midst of a super litigious <laughs> um, era with all this Me Too stuff going on. So it's been a hot, hot year for that, and I think it's going to continue. Um, and especially if we do end up seeing a slowdown, just like regular litigation, labor and employment litigation will absolutely have a spike because people are getting let go and they have really no choice. But if, especially if the labor market contracts and they can't get a new job, I mean, they're going to be looking to come after their employers for wrongful termination, um, potentially, you know, you see wage and hour class action lawsuits and, and all that kind of stuff. So definitely a hot market. Labor and employment um, attorneys are super marketable, especially in California. They're, if we have a labor and employment attorney in California that we're, we're sending out, they are getting snatched up. Harrison, do you have any thoughts about the state of labor and employment right now? Well, labor and employment, I think, has always been, uh, you know, a fairly active practice area. You know, traditionally, labor and employment is most active when the economy is not doing well. You know, so it's been interesting to see, you know, that it, it continues to do well, even though the economy is not doing well. I, I don't necessarily agree with Bree that it may be led by uh, Me Too lawsuits. I think that a lot of it's being led by uh, just the fact that, um, you know, there's there's been a lot of hiring, um, you know, and, and the labor market is very, very strong. Uh, you know, one of the things that happens is, you know, when, when they, they talk about the fact, like, for example, when property values are going up, uh, you don't see a lot of uh, foreclosures or anything. And, and so what, what happened, you know, during the um, boom in, in property, which, you know, kind of topped out around 2008, is, um, you know, people, there weren't foreclosures because, uh, you know, if someone was having problems making their payments, they just sold their house and uh, because the property values were going up. And so you didn't see a lot of uh, foreclosures. And, um, you know, and, and here, um, you know, I don't think that there is really, you know, as many, um, you know, labor and employment lawsuits going on because the, mar the, hiring, the hiring market is actually very, very good. So I would say, you know, and so if someone loses their job, they can just very quickly get another one. Uh, whereas in a recession, you know, if people lose their job, then they sue because it's very difficult to find another one. I, I do think that kind of what's going on right now, though, uh, is a lot of businesses are starting. Um, there's a lot of new labor and employment laws. Uh, you know, people, uh, I think there's a lot of counseling uh, going on. Uh, I, you know, I, I have noticed, you know, if you look at the the kind of interviews uh, by region, it's, it's interesting that uh, so much of it is in, um, you know, the East Coast as opposed to the West Coast. And I'm not sure really what's driving that. But, um, you know, labor and employment is, is a great practice area. I mean, traditionally, um, you know, because the fees are lower in labor and employment, uh, you know, labor and employment uh, was not a, a thing that recruiters were involved in because, it was such a commodity that, um, you know, law firms didn't want to use recruiters and uh, there just wasn't enough money. And, and now, you know, pretty much every labor and employment firm uses uh, recruiters except for plaintiffs ones. And, um, you know, even large law firms, uh, you know, are all using recruiters. And, uh, you know, I would say a substantial portion of jobs are, are filled by recruiters and they, um, you know, recruiters are used to fill jobs in small firms and large firms. And, uh, it's just a very, very active practice area. And, uh, you know, attorneys are marketable when they're relocating out of state. And, uh, you know, so it's, it's, it's been going very well. 
Bree, do you have any thoughts about uh, the outlook for labor and employment um, if, going into 2020? Yeah, I mean, I, I think we're not seeing any signs of it slowing down. And, and like I mentioned before, you know, sort of depending on what, what happens with the economy, if if it starts does start to go south and the job market contracts, I think we'll see an even bigger increase in the demand for those attorneys. Well, let's talk about IP, which was okay, a hot topic politically in 2019 when you think about um, Trump's trade war with China. But how did it look in terms of practice areas? Um, you have it listed here as one of the top um, growth areas uh, in 2019. Where, where do we stand when it comes to IP, Brie? Yeah. So in our reporting, we I did kind of um, lump together a lot of the different types of IP and sort of collectively the across IP, meaning trademark and copyright law, including patent prosecution, um, patent litigation, and uh, patent agents, actually. Sort of them all combined are, are giving a pretty strong picture of intellectual property. Um, with the market being so good, there's always these new companies that are coming out. I mean, you know, obviously what's happening in Silicon Valley is just so many tech companies coming out with patentable technology. That's really driving a lot of innovation and a lot of, of growth. Um, so there's all manner of IP needs that, are, that come along with um, that kind of growth. But I think it would be interesting to kind of discuss each of the different practice areas in turn and each kind of subset of intellectual property law to kind of get a sense of what's happening in each of those for the lateral hiring market. Um, you know, we kind of break down the, the large portion of what's driving the IP practice areas is patent prosecution. Um, I think we've talked a little bit about this in the past, which it's interesting that the patent prosecution work is largely becoming much more commoditized, meaning that we're seeing a lot more firms, big firms are sometimes even completely spinning off their patent prosecution practice because they just can't sort of justify to their clients the, the oh, we're going to have you pay, uh, you know, this incredible billable hour rate for this patent prosecution work when there are so many smaller shops that can do it at a flat fee or just have a much lower cost in general for that kind of work. Um, so we are seeing our candidates getting patent prosecution work, but you know a lot of them are actually getting staff attorney positions, especially more senior senior patent prosecutors, because they just that's kind of a cost cutting measure. I mean, we just we can't afford to be paying these patent prosecutors you know the same kind of exorbitant salary that the other attorneys in the firm are getting when they just cannot pass that cost along to the client. Otherwise, they're going to lose the client. So the firms that maybe want to continue to be able to have a full service IP practice, you know, where the patent litigation is still often done at the biggest firms and they want to at least be able to service the patent prosecution needs of their clients, they're trying to keep it in-house but trying to keep costs down. So we're, you know, we're seeing a little bit of a, of a drop-off in the placements and interviews that we are getting considering that we're working for, you know, a lot of these big, these big firms who are just have a kind of less and less need to be like working with recruiters to get those positions. But we do see a lot of patent prosecution opportunities out there in the market. Yeah. I mean, patent prosecution, um, you know, we, we did see a, like a, a, a major decrease in um, the number of, um, you know, placements and also interviews. Uh, you know, the main thing I would say about a patent prosecution is, uh, you know, the, it, it, as a practice area, it really is, um, you know, kind of losing steam. Uh, and, and I think a lot of that is just because, you know, large law firms, for, for the most part, are realizing it's a very difficult place to make money. Uh, you know, so a lot of the placements and interviews that I've, that we've been able to get have been 
um, you know, at, at a lot of smaller firms. And it's just interesting because there's almost been a reversal. Like, you know, a lot of very small uh, boutique patent prosecution and, and IP firms were kind of wiped out as they were absorbed by larger firms. And the idea was that everything would become more competitive as larger firms absorbed these firms. And then the people that had patent prosecution work would be able to spin off the IP litigation. And, um, and then if those people had corporate work, they would be able to give it. And what's happened really is that large law firms are realizing how difficult it is to make money um, in patent prosecution because it's become very competitive. I mean, the interesting thing is like Amazon, Microsoft, and so forth, they, for their patents, a lot of them are, you know, they use very small firms that might have like, you know, three or four people in them. It, you don't necessarily have to have a big shop with a lot of overhead uh, to do to do patent prosecution, and, and that's what clients are realizing, and so it's become very competitive. And so large law firms aren't doing as much hiring. Um, a lot of the hiring um, in the patent bar is informal because a lot of people know each other. I mean, it's a very small, um, you know, bar. So, you know, when I work with candidates, typically uh, the ones that get the most um, traction are typically looking outside of, um, you know, major markets and have um, some sort of marketable skill like related to, you know, not just being like a, you know, a double E or a, or a biotech patent prosecutor, but, you know, having experienced some, some special aspect of it, like, you know, for example, optics or a certain type of circuit or something. So, you know, that to me seems like a very important skill for patent prosecutors. I mean, when I have a candidate like that, I mean, typically what I'll do is I'll just go and look at, you know, all the openings that we've had for the past several years. And then I'll see firms that consistently have openings for people with a certain specialty and then be able to get them interviews from those firms. And patent prosecutors are still still marketable and still placeable. But really, you know, the, the smartest thing that patent prosecutors can do is to go where the demand is. And demand is typically not always going to be in the largest markets. Um, you know, New York City is very competitive. Uh, you know, there's because it's just, you know, the rates are higher there. And, you know, why would you want to be, um, you know, a patent prosecutor, you know, in a market where it's almost impossible to get a job? Um, you know, interestingly enough, I mean, a lot of people with patent prosecution, some big firms may have one or two attorneys that do patent prosecution and they'll do it for biotech and they'll do it for, you know, I mean, you, you actually probably get in some respects like the, the worst service uh, if you're going to a major market like, you know, New York for patent prosecution. Um, another thing that's interesting is, you know, a, a lot of big firms, um, that because there's so much interest in them, for example, you know, Morrison and Forrester has a very good patent prosecution practice. And so does Wilson Sansini. And, you know, and, and because of that, you know, the, there's just certain, and Cooley has a good one, and there's certain firms that, you know, patent prosecutors just kind of naturally um, go to. And because of that, um, you know, Morrison and Forrester and a lot of these other places can say, you know, we have so much demand for people that want to work here that we are, you know, not just requiring you to have an undergraduate degree or graduate degree, we would like you to have a PhD, uh, you know, so the, the bar is just kind of consistently raised. Um, you know, another point I would make about patent prosecution is, you know, the the demand really is is for electrical. Um, you know, there there certainly is some uh, demand for biotech related patent prosecution uh, in the Bay Area, um, Boston in particular. Um, there's some small pockets of of interest, in, you know, in patent prosecutors in Ohio and some other places, but it, the majority of it is in. Um, you know, those areas, and it's, it's extremely competitive uh, for patent prosecutors. You know, for the most part, I mean, a lot of the work is going to smaller firms. 
um, you know, now, and there is a movement away from, from large firms to smaller firms, unless, you know, there's just such, you know, outstanding, uh, you know, work being done like there is at Wilson and, and some of these other firms, but, uh, you know, Foley's got a good practice uh, for biotech and there's just, you know, there's a lot of very good firms out there, but um, the point is, is that it's very difficult for attorneys to, uh, you stay consistently employed um, in large firms. Another thing that's very important to note about patent prosecution, um, and, and one of the reasons it's it's become kind of a very dangerous practice area for attorneys, is traditionally what would happen is an attorney would go in and start out as a patent prosecutor uh, in a law firm and work there for uh, doing patent prosecution for a few years, um, maybe you know four or five, six years. And Doing patent prosecution day in and day out is a, is a difficult job. It requires um, a lot of um, cerebral strength and thinking and, um, you know, concentration. And it's not the kind of thing where you can sit down and where you're just kind of, you know, where you may discuss a case like in litigation or do some writing and, you know, and, and the concentration level. It's very high levels of concentration are required. And so what typically would happen is someone would get very good at patent prosecution and then after they did that, then they would switch over to doing litigation. And um, they would bring in litigation cases and have a good kind of run doing that. And litigation is much more profitable than patent prosecution. So large law firms like that. They like the idea that patent prosecutors could then become litigators. And so what's happened now, though, um, because of the um, you know, Supreme Court decision that's made it more difficult for patent trolls and other people to operate, um, that kind of opportunity um, of, of switching over to litigation when it's much slower isn't really there. And, um, and because of that, law firms have lost a lot of their enthusiasm for patent prosecution, and they're kind of pushing it out, um, you know, especially large law firms, because patent prosecution or uh, IP litigation was an extremely pro profitable practice area uh, for law firms. And huge law firms were doing it for a long time. But now that's, you know, kind of wound its way down. So those are some of the, the, you know, things that I have to say about patent prosecution. One thing I like about patent prosecution is if you are a specialist attorney um, and you have very good skills in something, you, you can a lot of times stay employed, you know, without business, you know, well into your, um, you know, 10th, you know, 15th, 20th, 30th year. I mean, I've placed patent prosecutors that are in their, you know, 60s and 70s that without business. I mean, if you have certain skills, but, you know, the problem with most patent prosecutors, um, especially in large markets, is they tend to become kind of generalists. So they'll, they'll never really specialize in one thing. And then that hurts their, the marketability. So my advice for any patent prosecutor would be to you know, find a firm where you're going to get a uh, very good experience in one particular aspect of patent prosecution. Um, and then, um, you know, as long as that's something, um, you know, that uh, you can see going, that's going to be going on for a long time, you're always going to be marketable. One final note about patent prosecution that's nice is uh, there's also a lot of in-house opportunities, uh, you know, once you get the right experience. So that's also a nice thing. But, you know, for the most part, uh, it's become a much more dangerous practice area than it was a couple of years ago. I can remember, um, and I hate to keep belaboring patent prosecution, but I can remember during, um, you know, the early 2000s, uh, I had a, a patent prosecutor and um, there was just a bidding war going on for the guy. I mean, he was coming out of like a three or four person firm and we had 
you know, major law firms, you know, willing to offer him, you know, a $50,000 starting bonus. And then when he said, I want more than 150, they said, well, what about 175? And, you know, for his salary. And so they just kept kind of pushing things up and up and up. And there was so much demand because there was very few patent prosecutors. And, you know, in, in the subsequent 20 years, I mean, so many people have flooded into the market um, that there's really kind of an oversupply of patent prosecutors. And more than anything, there's an oversupply of generalists and there's an oversupply of people that just have um, degrees, uh, undergraduate degrees, and they may be in civil engineering or environmental engineering or something, you know, that um, unrelated to the, the hardest science, which would be, you know, electrical engineering or, or physics or, you know, something along those lines. Bree, um, when it comes to patent litigation, there's been a similar downward trend. Can you describe those numbers and maybe talk a little bit uh, about some of the underlying reasons? Yeah, I mean, sort of what, as Harrison has, has said, we've just been seeing this uh, practice area kind of die a slow death. I mean, there's really just fewer and fewer opportunities on the market and what opportunities there are on the market, really, there's a high level of competition. Um, you know, they're kind of unlike patent prosecution where you can keep getting more senior and senior and still find work um, because of sort of the, the cost point of, you know, what you're going to be able to get paid for that. The litigation work, there's so many litigators who are becoming senior litigators. They have no business. Um, they've just been working on these huge cases because these patent cases are complex and big. And, you know, I, I, my guess is that these patent litigators don't really have a lot of opportunity to start building their own book. Um, and they just are becoming just like any other senior litigator where they, you know, if you're a senior litigator without business, it's a, it's going to be tough out there. Um, so we've just seen that this work just goes down, down, down. This year we saw about 60% fewer placements and 25% fewer interviews of our client, of our candidates in this practice area. Um, and yeah, the, the, the work is just, is really disappearing. Harrison, do you have any thoughts about uh, patent litigation? Yeah, I mean, patent litigation, uh, you know, is is it's still a good practice here. I mean, there's no there's no doubt about it. Uh, it's just there was so much work going on several years ago that the the bar um, has been raised in terms of what it takes to uh, you know continually practice it. And so, you know, one thing I would say is that um, you know if you have like a PhD and you're a patent litigator and um, you know, have three to, you know, seven or eight years of experience. I mean, you know, when you're working at a big firm, you can get a job, but, um, and there's still work going around. I mean, you know, certain firms have a lot of work. I mean, Quinn Emanuel has a lot of work. Jones Day has a lot of work. I mean, there's firms, you know, out there that have a lot of um, patent litigation work, but uh, they have a lot less of it, um, you know, and um, because of that, um, you know, the, the bar's been kind of raised in terms of what it takes to get in on that. Uh, but there's no doubt about it that IP litigation was just a goldmine for for law firms for several years, and um, you know, and you know, with with the you know the Alice Corp uh, you know decision, I mean, so much has slowed down uh, in terms of what's happened. And there were patent litigators that you know spent years, uh, you know, with with large firms litigating very similar cases, and then they all kind of went away. And now they. Uh, you know, don't have anything. And, um, you know, that's certainly, um, you know, troublesome for them. And, uh, you know, and, and the other thing too, is I think there's, there's kind of a sentiment among general counsels and others, because they spent, you know, so much money and so many years, um, you know, working on, um, you know, uh, or spending just incredible amounts of money on, um, 
you know, IP litigation that, you know, it really had a, a major effect on their bottom line. I mean, Mattel's uh, an example. And then, um, you know, and then, you know, Samsung even. I mean, you have like all these companies that have just spent so much money on IP litigation and really, you know, when it comes down to it, they didn't get much out of it. But, you know, there's still a lot of IP litigation going on. I mean, you know, one, you know, the Peloton, for example, uh, the, the bike company, uh, you know, which I guess they call it eFitness or something now is, you know, got all these IP litigation cases going on. And so every time, you know, one of these new tech companies kind of, um, you know, arrives on the scene. And I think, you know, there's an article in the Wall Street Journal yesterday uh, talking about uh, Peloton or earlier this week. Uh, you know, every time one of these uh, new tech companies arrives on the scene, a lot of their value, uh, you know, comes from patents, you know, and in the case of Peloton, I guess it's just like a leaderboard of showing who, you know, is first and second and, you know, and that sort of thing and, and different races. And, you know, so every, that's kind of the value that um, a lot of the new types of companies that are coming out have. And so, you know, whether it's Amazon or Peloton or Tesla or, you know, big companies that are, um, or Apple um, or Samsung or, you know, companies that are doing a lot of stuff, um, you know, they, um, they really need to, um, they, they, they really have, you know, a lot of value associated with, um, you know, their patents and, and so forth. And uh, they need to defend them and they use IP litigation to do it. Uh, unfortunately, uh, you know, most of that work is going to large law firms and there's still is an oversupply of IP litigators. But I do see, um, you know, that practice area, uh, you know, coming back and, and doing well over time just because so much of what's going on in our current, um, you know, uh, economy is, is based on that. And, the, and the, the, the things that are emerging in our economy, you know, that are the strongest and have the most value tend to be tech oriented and, um, and tech companies need their patents to kind of defend their space. So, Bree, if we've seen a downturn in placements for patent prosecution and patent litigation, what about patent agents? Is, is it following a similar trend? It's been an interesting uh, couple of years that we've been watching patent agents. Last year, we had a crazy increase in the number of patent agents that we were able to place, which is a little bit uh, unique for, you know, the often firms do not work with recruiters for patent agent opportunities um, because it's they're not attorneys and they just make Many firms just flatly will not pay a recruiting fee to hire a patent agent. Um, so we, but last year we actually saw a huge increase, um, which kind of fizzled a little bit this year, but we still were able to place quite a few patent agents. And I think part of what's happening here is with a lot of this patent prosecution work going to these smaller firms and there being such a sort of cost sensitive um, such cost sensitivity around the patent prosecution work. Um, a lot of firms are going the route of hiring patent agents. Patent agents are not attorneys. They don't have a law degree um, for the most part. And they, they are, you know, they're, they're people who are just have a really strong science background. And I think these can, these candidates are getting hired by firms because they the really experienced, excellent patent agents who've been part of the USPTO patent bar for years and have really great experience and maybe have PhDs in certain heart sciences or biosciences are incredibly in demand. Um, people who can actually do the work because 
what happens at the big firms is if you have some kind of lower level patent prosecution work that needs to get done, you know, a lot of the big firms would just be like, oh, this, so this is for me, lower level work, let's give it to like a first year associate or something. And they really don't have the experience and they're still billing out at a higher rate than you would bill out at a patent agent. So I think a lot of firms started seeing, oh, let's bring on patent agents to do this work instead of attorneys, um, because we'll have a better work product and have to pay them less and the client will be will be thrilled. So, um, you know, I think the the need for the best patent agents has become such that firms are turning to recruiters like us to help them find those people with, you know, PhDs from John Hopkins or MIT or, you know, those really highly credentialed kinds of, of patent agents. So with that increased commoditization of the work and going to smaller firms and having, having all that work, um, you know, be yeah, all that we're going to the smaller firms, we, we are seeing definitely opportunities for patent agents. However, patent agents, it's, I can't tell you how many people are coming to us who have like just graduated school with some sort of a science degree and they want to become a patent agent. They don't have the patent bar. They don't have any, they, you know, they, they are completely green. Um, and they think, oh, well, patent agent seems like a cool job. Let me get into that. So there's a huge pool of candidates who want to break into this. Um, and we see very little demand at any firms for any kind of brand new patent agents. Um, and certainly they're not interested in, the firms are not interested in talking to us for somebody who doesn't have any patent experience. So at that kind of entry level, there's a super high there's a super high volume of people competing for still a relatively small number of jobs, considering just sort of think of like how many people who don't have a law degree who have some sort of a science degree, we're talking about a pretty huge pool of people. So, you know, the, the patent, just like, you know, patent prosecution and patent um, litigation, having a real specialty and a strong, you know, at least a master's and probably a PhD in a scientific discipline is absolutely a prerequisite to be, to kind of break into this market. And, you know, we're seeing potentially patent agents, uh, you know, patent agents can work for the USPTO and maybe transition to a firm. Um, we're, we're seeing some, some interest in those types of candidates who do have direct experience at the USPTO, but, but yeah, it's, it's a um, highly competitive space, but the opportunities for experienced patent agents are, are definitely on the market now. Yeah. I mean, I agree uh, with Bree. Uh, you know, one of the things that I've noticed uh, is, is we've had some patent agents recently and I, and I, and I, and I would say that there's a, a major uptick in uh, you know, the hiring of patent agents because we've had some recently that haven't had, uh, advanced degrees that have come coming out of the US PTO, uh, even with like bio backgrounds or, you know, and backgrounds that typically would be very difficult that have been getting uh, multiple interviews, um, including even in New York City. So, um, you know, I think there, there's definitely something going on uh, in the market uh, that I'm noticing in terms of the, um, you know, the marketability of uh, patent agents that didn't exist before. And, uh, you know, typically, I didn't even represent them, uh, but other recruiters in our company have been, and uh, they've been getting them interviews and placing them. And, um, and in many cases, they're not even uh, the most highly qualified patent agent. So uh, that to me has been, um, you know, a, a major change uh, that I've noticed uh, in the market. And, um, you know, I, I haven't, um, you know, really ever seen uh, so much interest in patent agents. And, you know, in terms of if, if I was to opine and kind of the reasons for that, I, I think that, 
a lot of it has to do with the downward pricing uh, pressure that law firms are facing in terms of getting work done. I think, um, you know, patent attorneys uh, tend to move firms a lot uh, for whatever reason, uh, much more so than uh, patent agents. And so a law firm can kind of hire a patent agent and uh, they don't have to worry about making them partner or the pressure for that or their billing rates increasing. They just kind of keep the patent agent on and, um, and, the, and the patent agent will, uh, you know, continue, uh, you know, to do the work, um, you know, and without having to be a partner at, at a lower cost. And frankly, I mean, patent agents can also be very profitable for law firms. So I, I do think there's going to be a lot more patent agent hiring. Um, I noticed we didn't, um, you know, in, in our company, we didn't really see an uptick uh, in that this year. But, um, you know, what I'm noticing uh, going into 2019, and this is just, you know, I, I talked to recruiters in our company all week, and I've noticed that uh, several of them are getting interviews uh, that you normally wouldn't expect. Um, they're getting interviews with patent agents at firms that I don't think would be interviewing patent attorneys. Uh, so that to me seems uh, that the market um, you know, is, is doing well and um, will continue to do well for patent agents. To wrap up this segment on IP, I'd like to talk a little bit about trademark and copyright. Bree, I'll pass it over to you. Um, also a bit of stagnation when it comes to this sector? Yeah, we have seen very little uh, activity in trademark and copyright. The openings, there's just not that many openings for this work. And this work is not as highly complex and scientific, right? It's kind of considered light IP, um, soft IP. So, you know, you don't need a background in electrical engineering or biotech or anything like that to kind of get into this work. Um, you know, I actually did a trademark uh, article in law school. And you know, so you, it's just kind of like any other area of law. You can just learn the, the law related to that area. And there you go. So there is that that's not sort of a highly specialized skill that would kind of put it into the category of, you know, that we they really, there's a lot of need to find recruiters to help you find like super specialized kind of niche candidates. And we just are not seeing um, that much opportunity. But when we do have qualified trademark attorneys, we, we do tend to get them interviews. It is, it is still specialized enough, just like any other kind of niche practice area that if you truly have an experienced um, trademark attorney in particular, um, we, we can get you, you know, a fair amount of interviews and you, there's some interest, but I'm just not seeing a whole lot of actual opportunity on the market for these, these attorneys. Usually it's usually trademark work is good in times of, you know, good, good economy because companies are getting started and they have trademarks that they're creating and needing to protect. And that work really does sort of follow the, the economic cycle, but, but yeah, it's just, it's, pretty flat if if not kind of declining right now. Harrison, what are your thoughts about trademark and copyright? I mean, I think trademark, well, I, I don't know about copyright. I mean, I've never seen law firms really ask for copyright attorneys that much. Uh, I mean, there's some work involving, um, you know, streaming services and stuff in copyright, but I, I've never seen a lot of copyright work. But for trademark, I mean, I, I think the trademark market, one thing I like about the trademark market right now is that uh, you know, there's, there seems like there's a lot of businesses that are starting outside of major cities. And that would be, you know, I mean, places like Grand Rapids, Michigan, there's a, you know, an opening for a trademark attorney right now. There's openings for, you know, trademark attorneys in Buffalo, New York. There's openings in uh, New Jersey and there's openings. I mean, there's openings in kind of all these areas that are uh, the, sort of outside um, of major markets. And there's even openings uh, right now for senior people in Chicago. And, you know, so um, I think the trademark actually is um, 
compared to what it was like during, um, you know, recessions where there might have been one opening in the entire country, I think the market's doing very well. I just think that, you know, because we're a recruiting firm, a lot of the work that we do is concentrated in major cities. So we have seen a, you know, kind of a drop in the number of placements because most people are not interested in going to smaller markets. But in smaller markets, I mean, I, I just think, you know, Tremark Law is doing really well. I mean, it's just, uh, it, I don't know if on fire is the right word, but, you know, there just seems to be a lot of business activity, you know, people moving to smaller markets and a lot of companies and so forth starting smaller markets. The other thing to keep in mind about trademark is, you know, trademark is a, um, you know, a, a practice area where, you know, a lot of times, even though it may not be that complex at, at the higher levels, I mean, they're like anything, I mean, there's a need for people that have the ability to, um, you know, understand, you know, intricacies of it. Um, sometimes trademark attorneys also do trademark litigation. Um, another thing that happens uh, in trademark is a lot of times trademark attorneys will cross over and do licensing and, and those other sorts of things. And, you know, when new businesses are starting they always want trademark attorneys and um, a lot of law firms do want, uh, you know, senior uh, trademark attorneys now that I've noticed. Uh, you know, so even though you may be able to learn the material of being a trademark attorney very quickly, uh, you know, still at the higher level, they want people that can understand the work and maybe even supervise people. One thing that Bree did note um, that's true uh, is you are seeing a lot of law firms uh, with practice areas where there may be an oversupply of people, uh, you know, suddenly trying to make a lot of, um, or, or that may not seem that complex, suddenly trying to start a lot of staff attorney positions. So lots of law firms have been starting uh, uh, staff attorney positions for trademark law. Um, I've seen several firms in Washington, D.C. and other major markets do that. And so there are, uh, you know, that's happening, um, you know, as, as well as in labor and employment and a few other practice areas where you might not have seen that previously. But there is, um, you know, competition for trademark attorneys now. And when I have, you know, I have several trademark attorneys that I've been working with that have you know, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten years of experience. And, you know, they've all been getting interviews. And if they were litigators, um, it might not be the same thing. So I think the market's, you know, relatively healthy. I don't know. I think there was a little bit of a slowdown, uh, you know, in the middle of last year. And I know that it certainly, um, you know, may not be the most active practice area, but I think it's been you know, doing relatively well. And I think that as long as the economy is doing well, I think there'll continue to be a demand for trademark attorneys. Bree, let's turn to the final of your top five practice areas in 2019, and that's real estate. And it's been a bit of a wild ride in the U.S. real estate market. Of course, the 2008 crash, and then basically an unmitigated decade of growth up till about 2016. Then a bit of a dip, and now something of a recovery. Can you talk a little bit about that, how that's translated into real estate work? Yeah. So obviously there was a huge slowdown in real estate work after the recession, and then it started to pick back up. Um, but for some reason, over the last, you know, sort of starting at the end of 2016 and into 2018, we were really seeing a lot less uh, real estate work coming onto the market. And I'm honestly not entirely sure, you know, from from a sort of an objective perspective of every any city that I was visiting and walking around like downtown Los Angeles, it's just a frenzied building time, right? I mean, there's just sky, there's just cranes all over the place and buildings going up. And um, so, you know, that the work is happening on the ground, um, but the actual real estate 
demand for those real estate attorneys didn't seem to be that high. Now, at the second half of 2018 and then into 2019, we finally saw a lot more um, opportunities coming onto the market for real estate attorneys. And I mean, that was one of the biggest, you know, when firms were reaching out specifically for us with openings that they had posted for a long time, they're desperately looking for these real estate attorneys. So, um, and this is mostly like, tra this is transactional real estate work, real estate finance, leasing, um, that kind of complex work with, you know, involving huge uh, construction projects and um, other you know, big commercial projects. Uh, so that, that's finally picking back up. Um, real estate can be a little bit precarious and you know, with, depending on what happens with the market, well, it, it could, all these gains could be lost um, in, the, in the near future, but there definitely is a real rush for, the, for qualified um, real estate attorneys. And I think you know, one of the reasons is this the reason that there's such a need and maybe not so much of a supply is because, I mean, a lot of people who are coming out of law school after the recession were not going to get involved in real estate because the work wasn't there. They're not getting trained to do that work. So kind of a similar issue as we've seen with corporate, which is just that the actual supply of substantively trained, experienced real estate attorneys um, is just not as, as big as it might have been, you know, in the years right before the recession. So, you know, the, that mid-level and kind of mid to senior level attorney need is there's there's not that many attorneys to to fill it so real estate attorneys are crazy marketable right now um all over the country harrison i'm interested to hear your thoughts on this you've watched these uh, pretty wild swings over the last uh, 12 years or so in this market what are your thoughts about where we stand uh well first in 2019 and now going into 2020 well, I think that my, my my view of real estate has always been, and it, it just seems when the interest rates are low, um, you know, then uh, there's always a lot of real estate activity. I mean, certainly, uh, you know, in the recession, that affected uh, a lot of real estate related practice areas like leasing and so forth. But, you know, we're seeing senior attorneys without any business uh, getting lots of interviews in real estate. Uh, you know, the market is not, uh, you know, really doing poorly at all. I mean, it's doing well. Uh, you know, there's been uh, lots of real estate openings, uh, you know, uh, real estate attorneys at all levels are doing well. Uh, it's, it's going well in, you know, large markets and uh, also small markets. And I don't really see, um, you know, any, uh, you know, slowdown on the horizon for real estate, but certainly I'm, there will be one in the future, I'm sure, but it, it just has been doing, uh, you know, very well. And real estate attorneys, whether it's, uh, you know, sales or leasing or, are all doing very well. So it's it's definitely a good practice here at the moment. Uh, Bree, do you want to talk a little bit about your outlook for 2020 or did you think you touched on that enough? Yeah, I, I think the outlook right now still still looks good. And unless something you know really tanks in the economy, I, I think the work is going to be there for a while. That's all the time we have for this edition of the show. If you're an attorney looking for a change, go to bcgsearch.com.